0: Our gospel lesson this morning is found in Matthew chapter 8. We are reading verses 1 through 22. Listen carefully to God's word. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we do give thanks. You have revealed yourself, and clearly you have made yourself known in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to make known to us the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And so, Lord, we ask that you would lead us into all truth today, that you open my lips, and that my mouth will declare your praise. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. It is good to be back with you. Last week, Melissa and I traveled to Tampa, Florida, where we were visiting with Aldo and Abby Mondin. Uh Aldo, our former intern here, who works with RUF at the University of South Florida. We were doing some leadership training for Aldo and then baptizing baby Hugo on Sunday morning. And so all of that was incredible. Aldo is doing such a wonderful job. Many of you have seen him bring students up on retreats. And so it was a great privilege to be with his leadership team. But then on Sunday morning, I perhaps received the greatest gift. Arrived at the church, St. Pete Presbyterian Church. And the pastor there greeted me. It was a man named Dave Harding. And as we sat down to pray ahead of the service, he said, Now, you're at Christ Church in Jacksonville. I said, yes, Christ Church Presbyterian in Jacksonville. And he says, you know that I attended there. I said, no. He said, well, in the late 1980s, Christ Church was meeting in the Holiday Inn. He said, I worked there in Jacksonville. I was from Jacksonville. I was working with Young Life. And so I attended Christ Church. And he said, it changed my life said, it was the first church I walked into where the pastor opened the Bible, read it, and then talked about what he had read. And he said that absolutely redirected his course in life. He attended seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, became a Presbyterian pastor, and has now planted a church and ministered to various congregations, has a wonderful home where Aldo and Abby now attend. So, rich heritage in the funniest places that you would never expect of this congregation with nearly 40 years of history of Bible teaching, talking about the words, knowing that the Word of God is the power uh, for salvation and is what cuts through joint and marrow. And so it's why we are working through the Gospel of Matthew. We have been working for several weeks now, and this has taken us through Jesus' large Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. And now we go from Jesus' teaching, where he's explaining to us, teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, now into chapter 8, we have a series of encounters where Jesus is demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like. Because Jesus reveals that kingdom, not only in his words, that is what he teaches, but also in his deeds and what he does. And so we have a series of encounters in which Jesus demonstrates the kingdom, and we learn about the kingdom that he proclaims. And there's four things specifically this morning that we'll see about this kingdom. First, we'll discover the breadth of the kingdom. Second, we'll, Secondly, we'll see its goal. Third, we'll discuss the way into that kingdom, and finally, we'll see the fruit of it. So let's give each of those brief attention. First, the breadth of the kingdom. Now, in the first half of Matthew 8, Jesus comes down from the mountain after his sermon, and he begins to minister to the crowds. There was a large crowd still following him upon his teaching. And three miracles take place in this chapter in rather quick succession. What is notable about these miracles is not only that they happened, but who they happened to. A leper was healed, a Gentile soldier who we know as a centurion, his servant was healed, and then a woman who had a fever was healed. Now what connects these three different people is that each in various ways was an outsider in their day. One, the leper was excluded by a physical ailment. One, a Gentile, was excluded from the temple by race. And one, a woman, was excluded from full participation in the temple by sex. Unclean Unworthy, unequal. But yet what Jesus does here in Matthew 8 is he brings them all into one family. That he touches them, that he brings healing in their life. And the question is, is how exactly does he do so? And the verses of great significance in the passage for answering this question are found in verses 16 and 17. Jesus is here commenting on, after healing, and then Matthew comments, and he says this about Jesus' healings. He says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This reference to the prophet Isaiah is extremely significant for this entire chapter because it's a reference to Isaiah chapter 53. And it's there in Isaiah chapter 53 that we learn about a suffering servant who was also to be called the righteous one who would come to bear the sins of many, that he would be crushed beneath the weight of that sin and that he would bear it away. And that because he was crushed, Those who had sinned would be accounted righteous, Isaiah says. And friends, this is why the kingdom of God has such breadth to it. That is why it is so expansive. Because the kingdom of God is not determined by social class. It's not determined by ethnicity. It's not determined by social achievements. It's not determined by academic accolades. It's not fixed by any of these. That the kingdom of God and our citizenship in it, our belonging to it, it's fixed around one person, and that is the Lord Jesus, who comes as the righteous one, who comes and stands in our place. He stands in the place of the leper. He stands in the place of Peter's mother-in-law. He stands in the place of the centurion and his servant. He stands in your place, and he stands in mine. And this is what he does. He bears our sins. He bore our iniquities in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is what creates this family. It's the breadth and expansiveness of it. Isaac Dennison wrote a short story that captures this beautifully entitled Babette's Feast. In the short story, he tells the story of two women, Martina and Philippa, who were leaders of a spiritual community that had been founded by their father. The community had somewhat shriveled and become hardened. They didn't particularly care for one another. But yet, in the midst of this, shows up a woman, a French refugee named Babette, and she was a cook. She offered to begin fixing meals for the community. And they ate rather very common fare, and they did so intentionally, believing there was some spirituality to that common meal. Babette began to make savory dishes. And it didn't actually cost more. There seemed to be something unusual going on in the finances. People actually began to enjoy eating together and actually being together. Suddenly, Babette received information that she had won the lottery back in her home country. And so she went back to France to claim her prize, over 10,000 francs, I guess. She goes back. She comes then back to Denmark. And there, when she arrives, she has elaborate preparations for a massive feast. She was going to bring all of that feast to this small community. Now, they were somewhat embarrassed and shy, and they actually had conspired with one another to participate in the feast, but not to enjoy it. Okay? Babette, nothing was held back. And it was in the presence of that feast, as everyone experienced Babette's generosity, that high and low, insider and outsider... People who were enemies, people who were alienated from one another, all those barriers began to break down. And something like a family began to, be, began to be experienced. And friends, what Jesus is saying here, through his acts and through his works, as he heals a leper, as he heals a Gentile's servant, and as he heals Peter's mother-in-law, He is creating this new family around the one who bears our sins, who bore our diseases, who takes away all the pains of the curse, who stands in our place as the righteous one. And this is why the kingdom has such incredible breadth, because it's for everyone who will humble themselves and look in faith to this Jesus. And so this is the first mark of the kingdom, its breadth. Secondly, in this passage, we also see the goal of the kingdom now, typically when we think of Jesus' miracles, especially the healing miracles, we consider that they are demonstrations of power by which Jesus proves His divinity, that He's the second person of the Trinity, that He is the Son of God. That is true. That does happen as Jesus works the miracles. However, there's also another dimension to the miracles that we have to consider. The miracles also reveal the goal, or you could say the telos, the end of God's kingdom. It's giving us a preview of coming attractions, of things that will be. Because what is evident in the healing, this is evident in the healing of the leper, particularly in verses 1 through 4. Lepers were considered unclean. They were people who suffered from abnormal skin conditions, probably a host of different diseases. And the consequence of contracting such a condition was severe. Lepers were cut off from family and society, forced to live in villages unto themselves. No one could touch them. They were unsafe. They were unclean. They were unwanted. Lepers were dead men walking. And in the first century Jewish documents, it's clear that to heal a leper was likened to raising someone from the dead. And so this leper approaches Jesus and he says these words Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He recognizes the authority of Jesus and he does so respectfully. And then Matthew records Jesus's reaction in an economy of words with great simplicity. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. It's really a remarkable, beautiful moment of compassion in which Jesus touches this man who had not been touched by anyone for who knows how many number of years. Jesus brings this man from the outside to the in. He cleans him. And it was as if Jesus had raised him from the dead. He sends him to the priest because it was the priest who would then restore him to society. And friends, this is the important aspect of the miracles to appreciate. That Jesus was restoring this man to his full humanity. To what it meant to live in human society. To be healed and whole. And this is what the miracles ultimately direct us to. It directs us to the world to come and what it will look like when God heals and renews and restores all things. Because God's great intention is not to whisk our souls away to sit upon a heavenly cloud. That God's great intention is for heaven and earth to be reunited and for us in created bodies to live in His presence, to worship and glorify Him, to enjoy a spirituality enchanted inside of a physical universe. This is good and pleasing to God, and this is where it's all heading. And Jesus gives us a picture of that restored humanity and of that great healing of a world that will ultimately be free of the corrosive power of sin and death. And so the miracles demonstrate this great goal to us. Third, we also find here the way into the kingdom. We particularly see this on display in the second miracle. That is the healing of the centurion's servant in verses 5 through 13. Jesus turns up in Capernaum, where he was approached by this Roman soldier who would have commanded roughly 100 men. He was an outsider to Israel. The soldier asks that Jesus heal his servant, who was lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus responds that he will come and heal him. And then please note the centurion's response in verses 8 and 9. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. It's not like because his house was a mess, okay? Okay. Um, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus then marvels in verse 10. And you'll see there that he marvels. And what he is marveling at is he says he has not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Even though he was the fulfillment of everything they had expected, he has not seen faith like this. And there's two things that we need to note about this centurion's faith first is that his faith is an admission of his lack of qualification that he is not worthy to have Jesus come under his roof. He recognizes in his faith that there's a gap between he and God. And when he recognizes that gap, he is not just saying that he has a few problems. He's saying that his life is problematic. He's not just acknowledging that he has sins. He's acknowledging that he is a sinner. That Jesus cannot come under his roof, that he's not worthy of it. And owning our disqualification is part of the faith that qualifies us for the kingdom. And friends, we never get beyond that rudimentary statement. And the bruise that the gospel delivers is the fact that we are not worthy to be participants in it. That it comes as good news to those who have rebelled. It comes as good news to to those who have turned away. And so we have to recognize that All of our life is problematic. That we don't just come with a few faults, but we need to be comprehensively forgiven and cleansed and reconciled to God. And so the centurion admits that he is unworthy. But second, we see that the centurion also recognizes the authority of Jesus. And he says there, only say the word, and my servant will be healed. And friends, there's something important to point out here. That for the centurion, when he exercises faith, he's not simply saying, I believe cognitively in a God who exists. He's not saying that he just believes that God exists. What he is saying when he believes is he is putting his trust in a particular person, And that is in Jesus as the Son of God, and believing that this one has the ability to help him in his deepest problem. And so, this is not just a generalized faith in God, it's a very specific faith, and it's directed to one who mediates all the powers of heaven, who brings the kingdom of God to the earth. And the centurion has this great insight and understanding. Jesus moves on after lauding this faith and marveling at it in verses 11 and 12, and he warns the the disciples of the dangers, not to those outside, but to those who are inside the church. He speaks of the sons of the kingdom, and he is there discussing his peers, that is, his fellow Jews, Israelites. He was the fulfillment of all of their expectation of the great prophetic passages like Isaiah 53, and he explains that there's a great danger that many of them will not be at the table of the kingdom, sharing with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they'll actually be left out. And the question, why? It's because they were missing it. They were absolutely missing it. The centurion's simplicity of faith, acknowledging his unworthiness, Acknowledging that he was not better than, acknowledging that he was in need, that he was fundamentally problematic and alienated from God and needed to be reconciled through this one who has all authority. And friends, many of the sons of the kingdom didn't see it, and they wouldn't lower themselves in their pride, and they wouldn't believe and truly look in faith to this Jesus and we as the church today need to continue to hear the warning that this can happen to us too. Those surrounded by all the benefits of the gospel, by those surrounded by the grace and the majesty of all that God does and the teachings of Scripture, we can miss it. They were blind. And we must ask God to continually to open our eyes to allow us to see. Fourth and finally, we see here the fruit of the kingdom. Jesus then travels to Peter's house, and he discovers there Peter's mother-in-law. And yes, you heard that correctly. Peter was married despite the protest of some. And this mother-in-law is sick and has a fever. Jesus doesn't wait for a request. He just simply touches her, and he heals her beautiful demonstration of grace. And this is what we read in verse 15. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And here, Matthew gives us far more than just a historical description of what happens. He's actually charting for us here the course of the Christian life. That is, he's showing us what the fruit of the kingdom looks like. Because this woman who was healed The grace of God had entered into her life, healed of her fever. She then gets up and begins to serve Jesus. And friends, this is the proper relationship of grace and gratitude. You see, she doesn't serve in order to be healed. She is healed and then she begins to serve. It's the relationship of thunder to lightning. That lightning strikes and comes first and then the thunder rolls. And friends, that's the shape of our own lives as we encounter the grace of God. It's then after that encounter, after being healed, experiencing that, that we turn and serve God. This is what the fruit of the kingdom, this is how it works. The grace always precedes gratitude and service. It's then, though, after this positive example of Peter's mother-in-law, we see what can also go wrong in this discipleship to Jesus. Two men were part of the broad crowd who were following Jesus and they approach him. The first in verse 19 says this, teacher I will follow you wherever you go. And many people are miffed by Jesus's response. Here's a man volunteering to follow Jesus and then Jesus says this, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That would not create a mega church of any sort. I desire to be on your volunteer team, and then a response of no, you can't handle it. And Jesus answers this way precisely because he perceives and knows the heart. He sees through this man, and he knows that beneath his statement that he will follow him, that he's cloaking selfish ambition. And so Jesus challenges him. If you want to sign up with me, you will bear a cross. It's not just that I bear a cross for you, but I will also bestow one on you that the foxes have it better than I do, that the redemption of the world comes at great price and through great suffering. And so, yes, the grace of God is intersecting the world in me, but it comes with suffering and with tribulation and trial. And so selfish ambition will not be part of this discipleship and this kingdom. This man was coming for his own ends and his own purposes. And Jesus knows that there's something faulty in his understanding And then another man simply responds, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This is very difficult and tender because it seems like the man is simply wanting to obey the fifth commandment. Let me honor my mother and father. Jesus responds, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. You might think that commentators actually have spent hundreds and thousands of pages upon this line, but rather what I noted this week is they just skip over it. (laughs) It's so deeply challenging because Jesus perceives here not selfish ambition, but what he perceives is an unwillingness in this man. That, yes, he was cloaking it in some pious ambition. And you and I, I think, know something about that where we can hide our unwillingness beneath excuses, even good, pious excuses. Jesus, like us, knows that an unwilling mind never lacks for an excuse, that when we're not willing to do something, we can find a reason not to. I do not have frequently means that I do not want to do it. And this is what he's encountering. And so he meets in one man selfish ambition, he meets in another an unwillingness and a hesitancy. And what Jesus is challenging us to is to be like Peter's mother-in-law, that healed by the grace of God, that eagerly we then rise to serve, to put ourselves at his disposal, that we accept whatever price that may be that we know we're participating in the great healing of all things, the renewal of heaven and earth, of God making all things right and new. And so healed by Jesus, we get up and follow him, believing that true life resides in him even when it involves discomfort. And friends, this is the way that Jesus, in revealing the kingdom of God to us, is now shaping what our discipleship to him, him as our Lord, him as our teacher, what it is to look like. And so come and experience all the comforts, the healing and promise of new life, the forgiveness of sins, the one who bears our sins, and then gladly receive the cross that he bestows, that it is in that cross that we find the way to life, freedom from ourselves. And so let's ask for his help. Father, we do give thanks for all that our Lord Jesus teaches us in his works. In miracles today unfolding. As he heals a leper, raising him from the dead. As he heals a centurion servant only by his word. As he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And that the shape you then assign to our lives as we learn to rise and to follow. And so drive out all selfish ambition, drive out all unwillingness and hesitation, and may we rise to new purpose, knowing the goodness of your grace, having tasted that, and may we freely and gratefully serve you. We ask in Jesus' name.